Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We'll get there in just a moment. And uh, in your bulletins, there was an outline uh, that was just for some notes. If you'd like to take notes along with the sermon this morning, uh, we invite you to do that, to be able to study these things on your own, to be able to look into the Word of God for yourself and to discover the truths that you find therein. And uh, what a great morning it has been already. Uh, Man, I am just so encouraged and excited for what the Lord has for not just uh, us this morning in this service, but for our church with these young people that are coming up. And uh, I just can't get over uh, one of the greatest things about our Word of Life program in my mind. Uh, The games are good. Uh, All that stuff is fine. Uh, And you got to have fun. I mean, they have a lot of fun down there, trust me. And uh, they, they enjoy themselves. But really, to me, what speaks volumes is their personal Christian discipleship, Um, You saw a picture there where it's a discipleship and some kids sitting around a table. Um, Every single week they sit in what's called PT groups and with a leader, and they talk about that week's devotions. They talk about what's going on in that child's life. Uh, They talk about how can we pray for you, how can you pray for this, questions they might have about the lesson, and they are getting hands-on small group discipleship every single week so that they can understand. It's not just about doing a devotion to check the box. That's, that's another thing I think people think about Word of Life. Well, you know those devotions, you just, you're just checking a box. No, those kids are invested in the Word of God, and I'm excited for that. But also what I love about Word of Life is the Christian services. Um, if you guys didn't catch on that screen, Sandra mentioned the Penny Wars, uh, $101.08. Don't want to forget that. Um, see, I, a Baptist preacher would have said, well, we brought in like 105 you know, something like that. You just round up to the nearest number that impresses people. That's what you do. So uh, some guys would have been like, it was over, they would just say this, it's over $100. And then just let it hang out there, you know, it's a dollar eight cents. It doesn't matter, it was over 100 um, But what I love is that they were able to give that money to Samaritan's Purse, and now uh, people's needs will be met for livestock and Bibles. Um, they, they made and put together, or they put together um, eight shoeboxes uh, for Operation Christmas Child. Um, they, they served in so many ways around the church. And so for me, that's a huge uh, encouragement uh, beyond even the fun and games. It's that they're seeing the practical side of Christianity, and I love that. I love that very, very much. And so I do want to say also, um, it is so great to have Nikki and Judy with us this morning. Uh, many of you have been praying for them for a couple weeks now as they've kind of gone through a little bit of a season here with some health concerns. Um, but they wanted me to make sure I shared with you uh, how thankful they are. I know Judy kind of touched on this, but how thankful they are for the prayers of the church and the prayers of individuals. That when it comes to prayer chain, I had countless people the last couple of weeks telling me how they doing, how things going, what can we do. Um, and so just so, so you know, they appreciate that so much. And so thank you for that. But it's great to have them with us today. I love these guys and all they mean to our church family. Last week, we started talking about the assurance of our salvation. And we began walking down that road together. And we went to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But in your outline, you're going to notice the first couple are already filled in. Uh, That's what we covered last week, those first two points. Uh, This morning, uh, we are going to uh, just go as long as time will allow. And so we're not going to try to rush through anything. Uh, We're just going to go at the pace that we're allowed to with the time that we have. And so, but I want to open up with a reminder to where we started last week. Uh, You don't need to turn there for time's sake, but it's in your notes there. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 is where we started. And I want to start there again this morning as we talk about this idea of an assurance of our salvation. Uh, First and foremost, I pray you know Christ as your Savior. 
I pray that your, your understanding of salvation is not wrapped up in a religious activity like going to church. I pray that you don't think that you have merit or favor with God because you're a good person or because you do good things. I pray that you understand that the word of God teaches that there's only one way, and Jeff said this, there's only one way to his heaven, to his eternity and his presence, and that's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not about good works. It's not about what I can bring to the table. The Bible's pretty clear. The Bible says in the Old Testament that my righteous acts, my good deeds, if you will, are like filthy rags before a holy and just God. Now, there are kids in here, so I won't get into too much detail, but I encourage you to study what that filthy rags represents. It's, It's putrid to God's nostrils is the idea. Literally, when we go to God in our arrogance and think that we bring something to the table, look at all that I've done. Look at all the good I've done as we are still yet in our sin and not in Christ. The Bible says that when he sees those things, the very stench of those things make him want to vomit. That's the arrogance we come with to a holy God. But man, praise God. That holy God took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, that Jesus Christ walked this earth, lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and he rose again on the third day so that he would be glorified and we might be saved. We don't have to try to earn our way to heaven. We don't have to try to impress God with what we do. We can merely by faith receive the grace of salvation and just repent of our sin. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I ask you to save me. I believe you did those things for me. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Receive that grace. And the Bible says today could be the day of salvation. But once we're saved, once we know Christ as our Savior, and I pray that everyone here does, but I'm not naive enough to think that we all do. I mean, I hope that we do. I mean, many of you have professed to know Christ. I don't know your hearts, but I pray that you really know Christ, that you didn't just say a prayer because somebody said a prayer. You didn't know what you were praying. I remember the first time when I heard Christ preach to me, I was in sixth grade. And uh, uh, Nathan Berry actually was going to the youth group I was at. And he's actually now a missionary in Poland with his wife and family there. And uh, we went to the same school. And I was in sixth grade. I just showed up in the youth group. I didn't know anybody. And he was sitting next to me. And I've told this story before, but I wrote on a paper. It was like this little test. Like, and literally, they asked teenagers these questions. Do you think you're going to heaven? Yes or no? Yeah. Pretty good guy. You know, 14, 13 years old. I'm, I haven't done anything that crazy. Lying through my teeth. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm a good kid. Well, then the next question was, why? If you said yes, why? So I literally wrote, because I'm a good person. Well, Nathan was sitting next to me, and after youth group was over, we're out in this little parking lot area where there was a basketball hoop, and he came up and he said, did you really mean that, what you wrote on that paper? And I was thinking, wow, just all up in my Kool-Aid, right? Like, just all up in my business. I don't even know you. Like, judgy much? I said, yeah. I said, of course. Yeah, I meant that. He said, well, let me tell you, you, you don't go to heaven because you're good. You go to heaven if you get saved. So you need to get saved. I've not grown up in a church home, Christian home. My parents were not anywhere near Christian, okay? And I, looked, I said, oh, what, okay. 
Sure, what do I got to do? Just say this prayer. And we bowed our heads, and he said a prayer, and I said a prayer, and he picked us up, and his mom called for him, and he said, I got to go home. Now you're going to heaven. <laughs> cool, I'm going to heaven. All right, I don't know what I just said. I have no idea what I prayed, but I'm going to heaven. You know what? I mean, I appreciate Nathan, and I, we, we joked about this, actually, because he ended up going to the college I went to for just a short time, and we joke about this later. But, but it's amazing how that kind of planted that seed. I tell people, I don't know if I really was saved in that moment. I mean, I prayed the prayer. I, I kind of meant it. I knew I really wasn't perfect. But you know, at 16 at Camp Chautauqua, Miamisburg, Ohio, when I came forward and bent a knee and I said, God, I need you in my life. I know that I've sinned. I repent of my sin and I trust in you as my Savior. I know for a fact that's when I believed unto salvation, not because of me, but because of Christ and the finished work of the cross in my life. And so my prayer is that you here today, you're not just working under the assumption of salvation, but that you actually know, as Paul says, you've worked out your own salvation between you and God. With fear and trembling, you've come to the conclusion, no, based on what the Word of God says, this is what I've, how I've responded to that initiation, that invitation of Christ. So I believe based on the Word of God, not my feelings, that I'm saved. So once we're saved, once we know Christ is our Savior, can we lose our salvation? Can we actually lose that gift that has been given to us? So when you look at this truth, Philippians 1 and verse 6, I'm just going to read how the New Living Translation translates this, and then we'll get into Romans chapter 5. New Living Translation translates Philippians 1, 6 this way, and I am certain, the Apostle Paul writing here to the church, says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Praise God, he finishes what he starts, amen? Let's bow in prayer and ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I am just full of encourage, encouragement today. Lord, I just feel, Lord, it just pumps me up to know what you're doing in the lives of people in your church Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room. Lord, I don't know what they're coming in here with this morning. Lord, there might be somebody sitting in this room right now that has had literally the worst week of their life. And they come in here, Lord, and they, they're torn. They want to be real. They want to be genuine. But they also don't want to really unload all that on someone else and just kind of verbally just kind of like dump that out on someone else this morning. So they put on a smile and they're not trying to be fake. They're not even being fake. They really want to be content and at peace. But, Lord, there's a lot going on. So, Lord, I pray that even though we as human beings can't really understand or meet that, we know you can. So I pray you'd meet that person or persons here today that are just going through a lot. Stressed out, paycheck to paycheck, has no idea what's coming next. Health concerns, job concerns, kids going crazy. Lord, there's so much. I pray you'd minister to them. But Lord, for the one that's coming in this morning that is just overjoyed, has had a great week, experiencing you in new ways, and Lord, really in new ways, we really mean the same way you've always worked, but just new to us, and Lord, just enjoying the presence and the blessings that you've given to them, I pray that they would come and worship you and you'd minister to them. Lord, no matter how we're coming in today, I pray that we would leave here today with a clear confidence, not in ourselves, not in our ability to hold on to you, but in our understanding that you will always hold on to us in Christ. Lord, may you be glorified in the reading of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Romans chapter 5, if you're there. Uh, we're just going to read a couple of verses here to kind of remind us of where we went. Last week we talked about uh, the beginning, the first two of the six great truths that provides the divine guarantee. You and I have a divine guarantee of our salvation if we are in Christ. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 1. To me, one of the most powerful verses in all of the book of Romans, maybe even the New Testament. Therefore, being justified by faith. You've got to pause for a second, right? Justified by faith, not by works, but by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein ye stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's so much in there, but just to kind of summarize, last week we gave you the first two. The first truth we need to understand is we have peace with God. This is key of knowing we are sealed through eternity. The peace we have with God is through faith. This is a present possession. It's not a desired outcome. It's not, I hope I can get peace. Lord, I hope you would give me your peace in this moment. So many times I pray things and then I start studying the word of God and I'm like, wow, I just asked for something that you've already given me. Now I know what we mean. We can ask for peace. There's nothing wrong with that. I love what Judy said. Uh, I don't ask for patience, right? If you have children around you most of the time, as she does, you don't need to ask. It's delivering to you, right? It's at your door, okay? For some of us, we'll pray things like, God, I just need your peace. And I know why we pray that. I know we feel in a moment that we're lacking, but I want you to know the truth. The Bible says you have, present tense, his peace. And I know, here's the truth. We don't always feel that way, right? We don't always feel at peace, like we have peace with God. But the truth is, it's not about an emotion. It's about a person, and the person of Christ delivers that peace to us. We have his peace. It says, we have peace with God. You see, when we know how far we were from God in our sin, we will cherish the peace we have in God through Christ. In your sin, you were so far from him. There was no peace. The Bible says that you were his enemy, and the Bible's pretty clear that his wrath was going to be poured out on you. There was, it was not a good relationship. He had wrath towards our sin and those that practice it, and we were enemies of God, the Bible says, not seeking after him, but seeking our own things. And then Christ came, and repentance was offered and received, and we repented of our sins, trusted in Christ, and now, by God's grace, we have peace. You see, secondly, not only do we have peace with God, we stand in grace. We're standing in grace. Through Christ, because all things that pertain to the blessings of salvation come through Christ, we have been granted an introduction into grace, access into grace. And let me tell you something, that access you now have through Christ literally changes everything. In the Old Testament, we read of how inaccessible God was to the Jews, but then Christ came, and again, everything changed. He tore the curtain in half, dividing the separation between us and God and the holy presence of God. 1 Peter 3.18, we went there last week, reveals this truth as well. We have been given access into grace. One author said it this way, in Christ we are engulfed in grace. And I pray you know that today, that you have peace with God 
and access into grace. I want to continue down this line as we move into some new material. The next section and the next truth I want to touch on this morning is that we have hope of glory. We have a hope of glory. If you're excited for the hope you have in Christ, say amen. amen. And we have a hope of glory, the Bible says. I read it, but let's look at it again. Verse 2 of Romans chapter 5. By whom also we have access by faith. And again, don't just skip over that. It's, it, your access to him is not by what you do for him. It's by what he's done for you through faith. Where's my faith? My faith has to be in the person of Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace. Again, it's a present tense grace. This grace right now, wherein you not will stand, might stand, have stood, you stand in this grace. goes on to say this, and rejoice in what? In hope of the glory of God. We have been given a promised hope, which is an eternal and glorious future. Again, why do we claim assurance of salvation that we can never lose it? Because we have a hope. We have a hope that is rested in Christ. The word rejoice here in this verse, verse 2, is not an emotional hope, or joy rather. It's not an emotional joy, but a confident boasting. Follow me now. He says we have rejoicing in this hope. That rejoicing isn't just a, an emotional jubilation. Because let's be honest, do you ever just feel like not rejoicing? Anyone real this morning? You just don't feel like you want to take much joy in something? No, one hand, two hands. Okay, we got two honest people. Okay, some of you are like, oh, we're supposed to raise our hand. I wasn't aware. I'm sorry. Let's be real. Like some mornings you wake up and you're just, man, I know we don't want to say this because it doesn't sound very Christian, but let's be honest. Life sometimes in this world sucks. Like, can we just, uh, that just, it's the truth. Like, you ever just look through a day and you're like, really? Like, I'm serving you. I'm doing what you want. Man, I'm reading the Bible and look at how everything is going on. And we got two responses. We can either fall into, you know, regret and, oh, woe is me, Eeyore kind of Christianity. Or we can say, you know what, despite what I see and despite what I feel and despite what's going on around me, God, help me to know that my joy in Christ is not an emotional joy only. It is a confident boasting in you. Not in me, but in Christ. You see, again, it's not that we are always feeling happy, but we confidently boast in Christ. It actually refers, when you understand the word and the context, it refers to joy at its highest level because we have peace with God by grace. It produces the highest level of joy. So we have no fear, and all we are left to do is boast in our security in eternal glory. Jesus' own prayer in John chapter 17, if you've never studied it, uh, many of us have heard in church the Lord's Prayer is, you know, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. That's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's been called that because the disciples said what? Lord, teach us to pray. I'm so excited the kids are going to be going through prayer 
in the beginning of Summer Blast because what was the one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them? He did, they didn't say, teach us to preach. They didn't say, teach us to sing. They didn't say, teach us to do miracles. They didn't say, teach us to do all these things. They said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Because they understood prayer, my prayer life directly connects to my life in this world in Christ. I'm not going to teach and preach what I should if my prayer life isn't right. I'm not going to see God's presence in my life like I need to if my prayer life isn't right. I'm not going to see the works of God being manifested in my life and in the lives of my family unless my prayer life. It's all connected. And so the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So Jesus gave them, that's not the Lord's prayer, it's the model prayer. It's just an example prayer. Some of you were taught in church, that's the prayer you pray. Like every morning and every night you pray this prayer. Nothing wrong with that. You want to pray that prayer word for word? That's fine. As long as it's the cry of your heart, nothing wrong with that. But the Lord's prayer, the actual prayer of Jesus is found in John 17. This is where we read that Jesus was praying before he went to the cross. And there's so much in there. He prays for himself. He prays for the Father and the glory of the Father. But he also prays for his disciples. He prays for the church. If you ever get discouraged, go to John 17 and read the things that Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago. It's amazing. But in John 17, one of the things that he touches on, he reveals to us that he desired we receive the same glory that he has. He asked the Father to allow us to share in that glory not only is glory in Christ, but also in 1 Timothy 1.1, which it's in your notes there for time's sake. I'm just going to encourage you to check that one out later. But in 1 Timothy 1.1, we also read that not only does Jesus pray for us to receive the same glory that he has been given, but also he is our very hope. So our glory comes from Christ. Our hope comes from Christ. It's all connected to the person of Christ. I want to look at two other passages just quickly. Actually, there's going to be a few more, but we're going to look at two just quickly here. You're already in the book of Romans. Go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24. Thank you for bringing your Bible today, whether it's in print or whether you have it on a device. Uh, we always want to invite you to have the Word of God available to you. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center, uh, free of charge, no credit card, no blood type, no nothing needed. Okay, Social Security number, you can keep all that. We just give you one. Just kidding. Somebody was like, blood type? What kind of church is this? We're leaving. We want to give you the word of God. That's the whole point. We want it in your hands. If you have a device and you don't have an app on there, uh, our church has an app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. You can get the Bible through that app as well. And so we invite you to have the word of God available. But Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 24 through 25. Paul writing here again in continuation. This is all connected to chapter 5. This doesn't, now it's not talking to unbelievers. It's still talking to us, the believer. 24 and 25 says this, for we are saved by hope. We're saved by hope. That's interesting. How is that possible? Well, when you compare that to 1 Timothy 1.1, we realize that our hope is actually Christ. So that's the reason that Paul uses this wording. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then, we, then do we, with patience, wait for it. You see, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the day that by God's grace we will step from this world. And whether he calls us home or we meet him in the sky, we will stand before him and we will be face to face with the Messiah, with Christ himself. 
And I truly believe, because we read it happens after the ascension, or after the resurrection, before the ascension, that it says that they saw his wounds. And I believe that today, right now, as he is seated on the right hand of the throne of the Father, those wounds remain. And I believe when we see him and we see the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his feet and the wounds on his brow, we'll instantly be aware of all of the weight of our sin and equally aware of all of the weight of his grace that covered it. And we will fall on our face before him and just, I believe we will just weep before him. And we will praise him because we will see him and we will be like him, the Bible says. You see, that's the hope. That's what we're longing for. And I love that Paul says with patience or endurance, we long for that hope. See, we don't see it yet. What do we see? We see the chaos. We see the madness. We see the the friends betraying us. We see the the distrust. We see the confusion. We see the just the sin running rampant in our society. We see people that say one thing and do another. We see all this craziness, and we're like, God, really? And he's saying, oh, man, just hope. Just keep hoping. Just keep endurance and patience. Just keep it alive because there's going to be a day. And I know it's hard, but have joy at a higher level than emotion because one day you will be like him and you will see him. But man, isn't it tough? Isn't it tough to do that? That's why we have to keep focused on him. So how can we trust him? Why would we even trust this Jesus I've never seen? John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I want to go there this morning. How is it that I can trust this Christ? Well, his own words tell us that he can trust, we can trust him. John chapter 6 and verse 37. The Bible tells us here in verse 37 of John 6. He says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Who are those that will not be cast out? Those that have come to him. Well, who are those that have come to him? Those that have received him as Savior. Those that are followers of Christ. It says this, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And in him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. By the way, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done doesn't matter your sin past. doesn't matter your economic status, your gender, none of it. What's the only condition to not be cast out? To come. He says, listen, I will never cast you out if you come. And he doesn't say come with having been washed up already. Come with getting all your stuff figured out. Come with tithe checks and offerings. And again, I say it all the time. We'll take your tithe checks. No problems, no questions asked. But that's not going to get you into heaven or get you in good graces with me. But that's not going to change anything for you eternally. I'm kidding. I don't even know who gives. Somebody would be like, "Mm, I knew it. He said he checks the tithing. I see that. Okay. I really don't know anything about it. Okay. But when you see this here, what's the only condition? Would you just come? If there's not a more gracious invitation... Some people say, well, Christianity is too 
you know, inclusive. You gotta, it's too, you gotta do it their way and this way. What about all the other belief systems? Well, first of all, truth by definition cannot all be right. Two plus two is all our Brown City graduates. Took a second on that one, but you got there. I appreciate that. You can't say, well, to you it's four, but I just feel like it's three. You know, my cultural paradigm tells me it's three. Well, you are wrong. I mean, it's not, it's not like, oh, I appreciate your heart on that. Mm, you're wrong. But see how we think about this is this truth has to be included. It has to be restrictive. And if you think about this, what's the truth in Christ? All who come to me will never be cast out. That's the most open invitation to all of humanity I've ever heard. Again, look at study other belief systems. Talk about restrictive. Do this and do this and go from this place to this place on a pilgrimage and and give up this and do this and and hope you can be reincarnated 15 times and maybe you'll reach nirvana and just keep trying and keep trying and you'll get there. Works and works and works. Jesus says, oh, but would you just come? And I'll receive you if you come by faith. Listen to what he says in verse 38. For I came down from heaven... Not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, meaning the Father. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. You know what Jesus is telling us here? I will not lose one. Those that come to me will never be lost. But what about trials? What about when struggles come or trials come in our life? How does that encourage me? Or how does God use that in my understanding of a hope to come? Because when trials come, how do we hope? We understand we have a hope in Christ. We understand we can believe Jesus Christ at his word. But how do we hope when trials come? First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 say this. And I believe this is in your notes as well. First Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away. It's remaining for us, this inheritance that is being offered to us. It says, reserved in heaven for you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, reserved in heaven for you. Then he goes on to say this who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now, listen now. So we love those first couple verses, right? We love that we have an inheritance. We love that it's reserved for us. We love the guarantee. We love that we are kept by the power of God. In verse 6, we love that we can rejoice in these things. But then he goes on to say this. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. There's that idea of the hope we haven't seen yet. Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Man, Peter just unloads on us here, doesn't he? 
He gives us all this good stuff and all the blessings of salvation. And then he says, but if for a season you have to go through some trials, go through some struggles, and some of you understand this more than others. He says, if you're going through that, I know it's hard and it's manifold, it's various, it's everywhere, but stay the course. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep hope in yourself and in your salvation because you know he has reserved your place in heaven forever. It will not fade away. And the trial of your faith produces something in your life. There's a result that comes from this. Patience, endurance, your faith will grow. Your trust will grow. He will use you to encourage someone else. You ever go through something, God gets you through it, you're not really looking forward to going through it, but you knew it was coming, you went through it, and then someone says to you after, I just can't believe that you got through that. And now you can say, oh, but I didn't get through it. God got me through it. The Lord got me through it. He carried me through this. And now God is glorified in this. Romans chapter 5, one more thing, and then we're going to close. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. The Apostle Paul falls right in line with what Peter talks about. Chapter 5, verse 3, and not only so, again, remember what we talked about in verses 1 and 2, that, that these things are going to be true, the rejoice and hope of the glory of God. He says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Again, we read Peter and Paul have the similar idea that the trials of life will produce endurance and endurance will produce experience and experience will produce a greater understanding of hope. The key is in our salvation, we see the progression of our faith, which burns ever brighter as so grows our hope. And I love this phrase because it says, and our hope will not disappoint us. It will not let us down. That's what it means when it says in verse 5, and hope makes not ashamed. What it literally means is it will not disappoint us. A hope in Christ will never let you down. It will always sustain you and hold you and carry you as long as you choose to allow that to be where your mind rests and not in the things of the world around you. The hope of Christ will never disappoint us. Just curious, anybody ever been disappointed in this life or in someone? Raise your hand. You've been disappointed in another person? Yeah. You know, you never have to fear that in Christ. He will always hold you and keep you. And he makes us not ashamed and we can trust in him. And that is why Paul says, I truly believe. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power unto salvation. You know why he's not ashamed of the gospel? Because he can trust and he knows that it's assured. It's guaranteed. It's a confident hope. He would be ashamed of the gospel if it offered empty promises of only momentary pleasure and peace. But he knows, no, 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 no. This is the guarantee. This is the hope that lasts for eternity, so I have no reason to be ashamed because Christ has never let me down, so why would I be ashamed of him? I wouldn't want to let him down because he's never let me down. And so I want to ask you guys this morning, where's your hope? Are you trusting in Christ as your hope and your guarantee? 
Is it just, is your rejoicing in merely the momentary pleasures? Or do you lose your joy in the momentary distractions and stresses of life? Where's your hope this morning? It's a hope you can be guaranteed of because of not only what the word of God tells us, the very words of Christ says, I will lose none of them. Those that come, I will keep, and I will raise them up in the last day. Praise God, we have a hope in Christ this morning. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Lord, as we come before you this morning for a time of invitation, a time of reflection, we pray, Lord, that we would be attentive to what you have for us. We pray, Lord, that we would respond to you this morning. I pray that somebody in this auditorium maybe would would come and bend a knee. And not so somebody else would see them doing it, but that they would just spend time with you this morning and just say, God, thank you for the guaranteed hope. Thank you that you will never disappoint. Thank you that I can trust you. Thank you that you will never lose me. Thank you for being a God who finishes what he starts. Lord, this morning we come before you and we ask that we would rejoice in you. We ask that we would believe you at your word. And so, Lord, maybe somebody would come and just bend the knee and say, God, I'm excited to be in your presence today. I'm going to rejoice in our salvation and in the grace. Thank you for letting me come to you. Just to come, just as I was, just as I am, I come. And you take me and receive me, and then you begin to change us and make us new. So, Father, we praise you for that. Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior. Maybe they would come and speak to somebody in the front row here, and we can show them in the Word of God how they can know that they can be received by Christ today just by believing in faith or believing by faith in Christ unto salvation. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray you'd work in their hearts and minds. I pray they repent of their sin. Believe that you died on the cross for their sins. Maybe right there in their hearts, they're already praying this. And they would commit their life to you and surrender. Lord, may you be glorified in all that is said and done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we take a short time for an invitation? Invitation is very simple. If you'd like to come and pray, you're welcome to do that. Separate away from everyone else. Bend a knee. Spend some time with the Lord. Maybe as a couple mom, dad, husband, wife, whatever, an individual, you want to come and pray. There's those in the front that would love to pray with you. If you have a prayer concern, you want to pray with someone, we'd love to do that. But would you respond to him this morning, whether they're in your seats or you want to come and pray. Let's rejoice in our salvation this morning.